All right. Uh, 2008, Vicki and I had the privilege of going with a couple of people from our church and also a couple of people from uh, several churches, actually. We went to Israel. And uh, it was an amazing trip. And we are hoping as a church, a local church, we can actually take a trip to Israel. That would be amazing. Um, one of the exciting things, usually you end up your trip, if you go to Israel, you end up in Jerusalem. And that's kind of the conclusion of your trip. And so we were there, and there are a lot of things to do in Jerusalem, a lot of places to see. It's like the Bible coming alive. And one of the things that I loved is they told us that we had the opportunity to walk through Hezekiah's tunnel. Now, Hezekiah was a king, and actually he's the king we're going to be studying this morning. Uh, He built a tunnel, carved it out of solid rock uh, for 1,750 feet, a little over a quarter of a mile. And uh, they dug from two ends, went through solid rock with hand tools, you know, no, no power tools here. And they tapped on the rock to try and hope that the two crews would meet. <laughs> uh, it wasn't, needless to say, it wasn't straight. It kind of wanders through there until they finally met up. And, and we, do, we have a picture of the tunnel. There it is. It's pretty cool. Uh, it usually goes between four, five, and six feet tall, and it has water running through it. Uh, and if you walk through it, the water gets up to about your knees. And so, needless to say, my wife is claustrophobic, so when I asked her to walk through with me, she wouldn't even think. She said, I don't even want to look at the opening, much less go through it. So I went through it. A couple of people in our group went through it. Not everybody was game for that because it's dark. There's no lights, uh, and you just basically head out through there and with the trust that there is an opening at the other end, and you're walking with the water, and it's cold. So I remember thinking after making my way through the tunnel, I loved it, you know. When I was a kid in high school, I went spelunking a lot. Uh, that's, the, you know, caving, you know, going caves. I love that. Uh, so I'm not claustrophobic in any way. But when I got back to our room that evening, I began to study. I wanted to know what kind of guy, what kind of king was able to pull this off. Now, he did this because he knew that, enemies would come in and besiege the city. And so he wanted a source of water that flowed through the city uh, that the enemy could not get a hold of. And yet they would have fresh water, even if they were besieged. And so he accomplished it. He dreamed it up, I guess, somehow. Holy Spirit gave him the wisdom. He accomplished it. And then I began to study. And today I want us to look at his life because We've been studying the last few weeks on the kings of Israel. And I believe God has something to say about every king. And their strengths and their weaknesses. We've learned that with each of the kings. They're not perfect. Kings are not perfect. Presidents are not perfect. People in leadership are not perfect. People in authority are not perfect. They make mistakes. That comes with the territory. That's just the reality of it. So when we look at the life of Hezekiah, really he is considered to be one of the greatest kings of Israel. I want you to look at the passage that that talks about him. It's in 1 Chronicles. um, Excuse me. We're going to read the verse in 2 Kings uh, chapter 18, verse 5 through 8. Let's read that if we could. 2 Kings chapter 18, 5 and 8. It says, Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before or after his time. He remained faithful to the Lord in everything, and he carefully obeyed all the commands the Lord had given Moses. So the Lord was with him, and Hezekiah was successful in everything he did. He revolted against the king of Assyria and refused to pay pay him tribute. He also conquered the Philistines as far distant as Gaza and his territory from their smallest outpost to their largest wall city. So he was a successful king, but mainly 
the main thing is that he sought God. And just to give you a little history, he was the son of King Ahaz. King Ahaz was one of the wickedest kings of all Israel. And he was so wicked, he sacrificed all of his children to the fire except one, the one that became king, which was Hezekiah. He nailed shut the temple. He defiled the temple by putting pagan gods all through the temple and all around the city. And finally, literally closed the temple and refused to let even anybody go in there. He was a wicked king. And Hezekiah came to power and he changed the whole country. And when I read that, all the things he did, my heart longed that we would have a nation that we would, our culture would change. And and that's the first lesson that I feel like God wants to speak to us from King Hezekiah, is that we must change our culture. We are called to change our culture. That is one of the reasons we are here. You know, we are not just here to get saved. But we are here to make a difference in this world. And King Hezekiah didn't just love God. He did love God. He he had a personal relationship with God. But he went beyond that to say, I'm going to change the culture of my nation. And he was in a position to do it. And he did it. I mean, it is amazing the things that he did. Just a couple of things that he did. Look at, if you would, 2 Kings 18, verse 3 and 4. Just lists a few of the things that he did. He did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight, just as his ancestor David had done. He removed the pagan shrine, smashed the sacred pillars, cut down the Asherah poles. He broke up the bronze servant that Moses had made because the people of Israel had been offering sacrifices to it. The bronze serpent was named Nasushan. Interesting that he went through and got rid of all the things that were displeasing to the Lord. Now, I don't really have time. If you read Second uh, Chronicles chapter 28, 29, and 30, it begins to list all the things that Hezekiah did. It was amazing. He opened the temple back up, cleansed the temple, uh, established worship again, began to worship the Lord and, and created and, and reestablished Passover. It hadn't been uh, celebrated in years. And I tell you, I was most amazed right at the end of Second Chronicles chapter 30, verse 25. I want you to read this. And I, I wish I said, Lord, let this be for America. Look what it ha- says. It says, the entire assembly of Judah rejoiced including the priests, the Levites, and all who came from the land of Israel, the foreigners who came to the festival, all those who lived in Judah. There was great joy in the city, for Jerusalem had not seen a celebration like this one since the days of Solomon, King David's son. Then the priests and the Levites stood and blessed the people. I love this. And God heard their prayer from His holy dwelling in heaven. He changed His culture. He did. He instituted change. And as I read that, I thought how God is speaking to each of us that part of our calling is to change our culture. Now, I just want to say it is is easy to give in. Because, I mean, what is going on in our nation today It's going on all over the world, but it's primarily going... There is a war for the soul of America right now. There is a culture clash, war going on in America. Trying to remove all recognition of God. Trying to destroy all authority or all respect for authority. And it is easy to just want to give in. To say, well... Whatever's going to happen is going to happen. But I want to encourage you. One of the things that Hezekiah 
one thing I believe God is saying through his life, and that is you cannot just give in. We are called to change the culture around us. And you know, the enemy uses fear, lies, intimidation, and confusion. Those have always been tactics of the enemy to cause you to want to just give up. But it, what it does, it diverts us from our primary calling. What's our primary calling? To make a difference in this world, to change our culture, to influence others toward righteousness. I, I talk to people, they want to head out the hills, they want to hide, they want to uh, close the door to their home, they want to board up their windows. That's not what we're here to do. We are here to make a difference, to change our culture, to reach out and touch the hurting. Yes, it can be fearful. And you know, and I see an example of how the enemy works. It's interesting because Hezekiah came up against an army that was the army of Assyria. And Assyrians, they were ruthless, to say the least. King Shinoxarib of Assyria started in Nineveh and worked his way west and then started dropping down south, conquering city after city, nation after nation. His goal was Jerusalem, the unconquered city. His desire was to take the city that no one else had taken. And it's interesting because... He tried to get Hezekiah to just open the gates and let him in. He said, hey, if you will let us in and not fight us, then we'll give you 2,000 horses if you can find enough men to put on them. Little dig there. I want you to read the letter that King Shinoxerib sends to Hezekiah. It's in 2 Kings chapter 18. Look at this. Verse 19, it says, Then the Assyrian king's chief of staff told them to give this message to Hezekiah. This is what the great king of Assyria says. What are you trusting in that makes you so confident? Do you think that mere words can substitute for military skill and strength? Who are you counting on that you have rebelled against me? On Egypt? If you lean on Egypt, it'll be like a reed that splinters beneath your weight and pierces your hand. Pharaoh, king of Egypt, is completely unreliable. But perhaps you will say, we are trusting in the Lord our God, but he is, isn't he the one who was insulted by Hezekiah? Didn't Hezekiah tear down his shrines and altars and make everyone in Judah and Jerusalem worship only at the altar here in Jerusalem? You know, it's kind of interesting that he used that. Because obviously he did that to honor the Lord. But now the king of Assyria is saying, you've made God mad. You've made your own God mad by tearing down his shrines. What is he doing there? He's trying to produce confusion. He's trying to make the people of God think, well, maybe we did the wrong thing. Maybe Hezekiah did the wrong thing. Maybe we've made God mad. No, he didn't make That was the right thing to do. But you see, that's the way the enemy will always work. He will use lies, threats, fear, and intimidation and confusion. He was trying to get the people of God confused. And look what else he said here. He says, I'll tell you what. I'll strike a bargain with my master, the king of Assyria. I'll give you 2,000 horses if you can find that many men to ride on them. With your tiny army, how can you think of challenging even the weakest contingent of my master's troops, even with the help of Egypt's chariots and charioteers? What's more, do you think we've invaded your land without the Lord's direction? The Lord himself told us, attack this land and destroy it. That's a lie. God didn't tell them. But what I want you to see is that we are called to change our culture. And the enemy is looking to get you full of fear and intimidation and lies and confusion so that you will give up and not change your culture. So you'll run off and hide. 
So you'll do anything. Satan fears the church praying and seeking God and humbling themselves before God and crying out to God because the enemy knows there's power in the name of Jesus. There's power in the name of Jesus. There has always been power in the name of Jesus. And don't let anyone confuse you. Only Jesus makes you holy. Only Jesus. You know, it's not religion. Religion will never make you holy. Only Jesus makes you holy. And I know the enemy sometimes works through religious people. And thank God we don't have to be religious. Thank God we can just have our faith and our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and His precious blood and know that He did it all. I want you to read a verse just to remind you of this, how that He is the one. Colossians 2, verse 13 through 15 is a reminder how it's all done by Jesus and how Jesus defeated the enemy. It says in Colossians 2, 13, it says, You were dead because of your sin, because of your sinful nature and was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all of our sins. He canceled the record of charges against you, took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. So that's why the enemy wants to confuse you and intimidate you because he has been defeated. He doesn't want you praying. He doesn't want you reading the word. He doesn't want you to use the power of the cross to defeat him, to stand against him, he fears that. So he would rather intimidate you, just like Shinoxerib. He didn't want to fight them. He didn't want to do that. It was an impenetrable city. The walls were too high, they were too thick, and they had all the water they needed. He couldn't take it. So what is he doing? He's using lies. And intimidation, fear, and confusion. And religious people, they'll do the same thing. And I just, just a few other verses here, 16 through 19. So don't let anybody condemn you for what you eat or drink, for not celebrating certain holy days or new moons or ceremonies or Sabbaths. For these rules are just shadows of the reality yet to come. And Christ himself is that reality. Don't let anybody condemn you by insisting on pious self-denial or worship of angels, saying they have had visions about these things. You know, their sinful minds have made them proud. They're not connected to Christ, the head of the body, for he holds the whole body together with its joints and ligaments, and it grows as God nourishes it. Jesus is the only one who sets us free. Rules and regulations... They will never set you free. How many of you have been delivered from rules and regulations? Let me see your hand. Man, thank God. Now, should we walk in the ways of the Lord? Absolutely. Should good works be a part of our life? Absolutely. But those things do not make you holy. They do not save you. They don't get you to heaven. They don't reconcile you to God. They are a result of us being reconciled by the precious blood of Jesus. You've got to get that in your heart. Because the enemy is going to use all kinds of things, even religious people, to twist things and put you under condemnation. Hold fast. The second thing I see here, and this is so powerful in his life, these are good things I learned from Hezekiah, and that is prayer makes a difference. Prayer makes a difference. I want to tell you, this is a man of prayer. His prayers are powerful. You know, this, this Shinoxerib, he's, he's still trying to get there. And look what, what, what happens when he writes another letter. And he's threatening more. And I love the way Hezekiah prays. This is so powerful. Kind of gives us a pattern for prayer. Second Kings chapter 19, verse 14 through 19. After Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers and read it, he went up to the Lord's temple and spread it out before the Lord. Don't you love that? He just spread the letter out. 
And Hezekiah prayed this prayer before the Lord. O Lord God of Israel, you are enthroned between the mighty cherubim. You alone are God of all the kingdoms of the earth. You alone created the heavens and the earth. Bend down, O Lord, and listen. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. Listen to Shinnachrib's words of defiance against the living God. It is true, Lord, that the kings of Assyria have destroyed all these nations. And they have thrown the gods of these nations into the fire and burned them. But, of course, the Assyrians could destroy them. They were not gods at all, only woods of wood, only idols of wood and stone shaped by human hands. Now, O Lord, our God, rescue us from his power, and then all the kingdoms of this earth will know that you alone are God. So what was the answer to that prayer? Just a few verses later, Second Kings 19, verse 35 That night, the angel of the Lord went out to the Assyrian camp and killed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. When the surviving Assyrians woke up the next morning, they found corpses everywhere. Then King Shinnachrib of Assyria broke camp, returned to his own land. He went home to the capital of Nineveh and stayed there. And one day while he was worshiping in the temple of his god Nishrach, his sons Adramelech and Shezar, killed him with their swords. Then they escaped to the land of Erat, and another son, Esherahadon, became the next king of Assyria. So all his threats, they didn't come to pass. And I want to tell you, all the threats the enemy uses against you, they don't come to pass. How many of you have ever worried about something and worried about something and worried about something and then it never came to pass? How many times do we waste worry? You stay up late. You get up early. I'm guilty of this. My wife is looking at me like, you do this, Renee. That's true. We worry about things. And the truth is, God is faithful. He answers prayer. Prayer changes things. They were facing an army they couldn't defeat. And even if you read the whole story, it's in Chronicles and it's in Kings. But if you read the whole story from both places, it's amazing. Isaiah the prophet prophesies exactly what's going to happen, and that's what happens. It's amazing. And that's not the only time God answered Hezekiah's prayer. Look at what happened to him personally. And I love this. This is a powerful lesson for all of us. It says in Second Kings chapter 20, it says, About that time Hezekiah became deathly ill. And the prophet Isaiah, son of Amoz, went to visit him, and he gave the king this message. This is what the Lord says, Set your fears in order, for you are going to die. You will not recover from this illness. How would, you, how would you like to get a word from the Lord like that? It's over. Get your funeral plans done. You're going to die. I mean, that's not a great word from the Lord. Everybody says they want a word from the Lord. You be careful what you get. This is a bad word from the Lord. But look what happened. This is what's amazing. Remember, excuse me, verse 2. When Hezekiah heard this, he turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. Remember, O Lord, how I've been faithful to you and and have served you single-mindedly, always doing what pleases you. Then he broke down and he wept bitterly. But before Isaiah had left the middle courtyard... This message came to him from the Lord. Go back to Hezekiah, the leader of my people, tell him, this is what the Lord, the God of your ancestor David says. I've heard your prayer and seen your tears. I will heal you. And three days from now, you'll get up out of bed and go to the temple of the Lord. I'll add 15 years to your life. I will rescue you and this city from the king of Assyria. I'll defend this city for my own honor and for the sake of my servant David. I want to tell you, God can change his mind. Things change. I know sometimes it looks hopeless. I mean, I'm encouraged that God can and will change His mind. But we have to be willing to cry out. I I see a desperation in Hezekiah's prayer. He wept bitterly. He cried out to God. You know, if you want to do a great study in the Bible, go through the Word of God and identify all the times where it says, and they cried out to God, and God heard their prayer. It's amazing. I preached the message on that one time. 
how when you cry out to God and see what you, what you learn, and that is a casual inquirer does not get God's attention. But a person who cries out to God, who is desperate for God, gets God's attention. And Hezekiah got desperate. And I just want to ask you, how do you pray? Do you pray maybe that God might hear you and maybe he might actually do? Or do you cry out to God with all of your heart, pouring out your heart before God, saying, oh God, I'm desperate for you. Hear my prayer, oh Lord. That's the kind of prayer that gets God's attention. It shows the humility of your heart. It shows the tenderness of your heart. It shows you that you are able to say, I am weak and I cannot do this. You know, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul said this. He said, when I am weak, then I am strong because it's Christ and His strength in me. He learned to glory in His weakness because when He was weak, God was strong in Him. And that is a truth of the Word of God that we have to come to a place where I can't do it. I'm desperate for you, God. Now I want to talk about the two weaknesses of Hezekiah. It tells us that he did so many great things and he had so much wealth So much influence that says that he got lifted up in pride. And pride does an amazing thing to you. It blinds you. I want everybody to close your eyes just for a minute. Close your eyes. Just imagine going through life not being able to see. Now open your eyes and understand that if you get lifted up in pride, you have another type of blindness. It's called spiritual blindness. And that spiritual blindness will blind you to all kinds of things. One thing it will do, it will blind you to potential threats. You won't see the consequences of your actions. Look what he did. Look what Hezekiah did. It's in 2 Kings 20. It says soon after this, verse 12, Merodach, Baladan, son of Babylon, Baladon, king of Babylon, sent Hezekiah his best wishes and a gift, for he had heard that Hezekiah had been very sick. Hezekiah received the Babylonian envoys and showed them everything in his treasury houses. The silver, the gold, the spices, the aromatic oils. They even had uh, essential oils there. Uh, And he took them to see his armory and showed them everything in his royal treasuries. There was nothing in his palace or kingdom that Hezekiah did not show them. Then Isaiah the prophet went to king Hezekiah and asked him, What did those men want? Where were they from? Hezekiah replied, They came from the distant land of Babylon. What did they see in your palace? Isaiah asked. They saw everything, Hezekiah replied. I showed them everything I own, all my royal treasuries. How many of you know that was not a smart thing to do? Babylon was a world power. And what just happened is that Hezekiah and Jerusalem just got on the most wanted list for the Babylonians. They just added them to a place to conquer in the future because they said, man, you would not believe what this guy has. There's gold, silver, wealth. We need to get this guy. But he opened it up. And you may say, boy, that was a silly thing to do. Why in the world would he do that? Blindness, spiritual blindness, does not allow you to see the potential threat, this potential danger of your actions. Every time, you know, people do things and, and, and we look at it, we read about it in the newspaper, we read about it on the Internet and we say, I can't believe they were so stupid to do that. I can't believe they didn't know they were going to get caught. The reason is pride produces blindness. You don't see. You're blind spiritually. And you don't see the potential consequences, the the results of your actions. 
It's like you become clueless. And I just want you to understand that this is something every one of us have to fight against. We have to be willing to fight against that pride and say, Lord, teach me not to, not to be focused on how much I have. You know, if God has blessed you today, there's a reason God has blessed you. He doesn't just bless you so you can hoard it. He blesses you so that you can bless others. And, and the key thing is you can't set your eyes on it. I love six, Psalm 62, verse 10. It says, don't make your living by extortion or put your hope in the ceiling. And if, you, if your wealth increases, don't make it the center of your life. Don't make it the center of your life. If God blesses you with a whole lot of money, don't get focused on that. Because there's a lot of danger there. And it was a danger that caused spiritual blindness in Hezekiah's eyes. And he just, he just opened it up. Were the Babylonians really concerned about Hezekiah's wealth? I mean, his well-being? I doubt it. I think he, they wanted to come. And they just kind of said, oh, we're concerned about your health. We heard you were sick, baloney. They came to find out what he had. You know, sometimes a little bribe, a little flattery, sometimes they think will open the door. And it did. And Hezekiah made a terrible choice. And that leads us to probably the most powerful thing I think God wants to say to us through the king Hezekiah. And that is, our present obedience can be easily lost. Look at the words of Isaiah to Hezekiah in these next few verses. Verse 16, he says this. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, listen to this message from the Lord. The time is coming when everything in your palace, all the treasury stored up by your ancestors until now, will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. Some of your very own sons will be taken away and exiled. They will become eunuchs who will serve in the palace of Babylon's king. Look at verse 19. Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, This message you have given me from the Lord is good. For the king was thinking, At least there will be peace and security during my lifetime. The spiritual blindness, he had, it caused something else. It caused a lack of concern about the future generations. He thought, hey, this is not a bad deal. At least I'm going to have peace during my lifetime. At least the Babylonians are not going to attack during my lifetime. It's going to be after I'm gone. And hey, they thought, my son, they'll just have to deal with this on their own. It goes back to changing the culture. The culture you are most called to impact is your children and your grandchildren. We are called to make a difference in the lives of our children and our grandchildren. We must be concerned about the next generation. And Hezekiah failed. He lost. And just think of... If you just read all the wonderful things that he did, he reestablished worship and praise and tore down all the altars and all the pagan gods. He did all kinds of good things for God. But I want to tell you, his son, Manasseh, tore down everything that Hezekiah did. Every good thing Hezekiah did, Manasseh undid it. And was as wicked as King Ahaz, Hezekiah's father. He was unconcerned about the next generation. And I just I want to encourage you. We cannot we can't just think about us. 
we don't like what's going on in our nation today. Agreed? You don't like it, I don't like it. But let's just be honest. We are reaping what we have sown. We are enduring the consequences of a generation that have not experienced God for themselves. It doesn't count what you tell your kids. They have to experience God for themselves. They need to know God personally. They need to see God's hand personally. They need to see and feel and understand and experience God's presence personally. Or else they will walk away from God in a few short years. Our job, our calling, our mission is to reach out and touch the next generation with all that we have. Because if we don't, our generation is lost and we're right there. We're right there. We're at the place where we are close to losing our country as we know it. We're on the precipice of losing our nation, our laws, everything our founding fathers died for and planned for, they're all at risk right now. Because there are forces that want to plunge our nation into anarchy and chaos because they want to recreate our our nation into their own image. They want to change the image of our forefathers and the constitution that we had. And they want to change it into a brand new socialistic, communistic nation and the reason is is that we have failed to reach the next generation when I say we, we collectively as a nation we are warned look if you would to Joshua just a couple of verses here Joshua twenty four thirty one. the people of Israel served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and the elders who outlived him watch this those who had personally experienced all that the Lord had done for Israel. Did you catch that? They served the Lord. Those, this is Joshua twenty four thirty one. those who had personally experienced all that the Lord had done for Israel. Now look at Judges 2, verse 6 and 7. And Joshua sent the people away. Each of the tribes left to take the possession of the land allotted to them. And the Israelites served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and the leaders outlived him. Those who had seen the great things the Lord had done. The first, those they had personally experienced God. But the next generation, they saw it and they heard about it, but they had experienced it. Now look at the result. Judges 2, verse 10 through 12. After that generation died, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things he had done for Israel. The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight and served the images of Baal. They abandoned the Lord, the God of their ancestors who had brought them out of Egypt. They went after other gods, worshiping the gods of the people around them. They angered the Lord. The pattern is clear. If we do not experience the Lord ourselves, and if we don't make sure our kids experience God for themselves, it is not going to cut it to just tell your kids about God. That just doesn't do it. You look at your kids and say, God is good. And they shake their head, yes, God is good. But will it last? No. They must experience God for themselves. It is our job 
to make sure they experience and have a personal relationship with God. They experience His presence. They understand worship. They know all about God. They see His hand. They learn to pray and see God answer their prayer. They must experience God for themselves. If they don't, they will not keep it up. And that's that's where we are as a nation. We're at least one, possibly two generations into a culture that has never really seen and understood God's goodness. They don't understand the ways of God. You know, a foundation of biblical teaching is respect for authority. That's just basic. Respect for authority starting in your home, your family, uh, at school, in your community. A respect for authority is foundational to being a Christian. And yet, our nation is ripping apart at the seams because we've lost respect for authority, all kinds of authority. What do we do? Well, from the life of King Hezekiah, I see three things that we have to do. Number one, we have to repent for our failures. And don't tell me there's, there's probably not a person in here that's, that hadn't failed. We've all failed. We've all failed to reach the next generation the way we should. And then the next thing, and that is, we have to make sure that we personally know the Lord. What good is it going to be if we don't have a personal relationship ourselves? And then we have to make a commitment to say, Lord, I'm going to reach the next generation. That means... That might mean your children and your grandchildren. But it might be somebody else's children and grandchildren. It might be some kids at school. It might be your friend's children. It might be children in the church. We have got to love our kids, hold our kids, teach our kids, walk them in the ways of God. We can't get so self-centered that we forget about the next generation. So I'm going to ask you to do this. My heart is breaking for our nation. I never thought I'd see in my lifetime what we're seeing. I feel like it's slipping away right before my eyes. The nation that I love. And I see from Scripture why it's happening. So all I can say is we have to do what we can. I can't even affect what's going on in Baton Rouge. But we can affect what goes on here. We can influence our families and our homes and our city and our local area. We can make a difference here. We can change the culture right here. This is what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you, we've got to start with first things first. Let's pray. Lord, holy God, God of heaven and earth, creator of the whole universe, the God that loves us, cares for us. Lord Jesus, who died for us, who gives us new life and forgiveness of sin by the precious blood of Jesus. Heavenly Father, save our land. Lord, Hezekiah humbled himself and you changed your mind about his death. And you gave him 15 more years. 
Lord, hear the cries of your people. Spare our land, Lord. God, give us our land, Lord. Lord, forgive us our selfishness. Give us a concern for the next generation. Help us, Lord. Help us to know, know what to know what we need to do. Last week, Jehoshaphat said, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you, and the Lord, we're there. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Thank you, Father. I'm going to ask you, if you would, to stand to your feet. I'm going to ask the worship team to sing the song they sang earlier. Here, here's my heart, Lord. And I'm going to ask you this simple question. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we've had multiple people born again in recent weeks and months. can't change the culture unless you have been changed. You can't reach the next generation unless you have been touched and chained. So I'm going to ask you real quickly, any person in here, if you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, not religion, not church, personal relationship with Jesus by the blood of Jesus, you must be born again. Jesus said you must be born again. If you're here today and you need to be born again, you need a new life, You need forgiveness of sin. I'm going to ask you to get out of your seat. Come right down here to the front. I want to pray for you. Anybody? You need to give your heart and your life to Him and be born again by the Spirit of God. Anybody else? Yes. Come on. Paul, come on. Anybody? Yes. Come on. Thank you, young man. Anybody else? Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? It all begins, and you start out, and again, this is not about religion. This is not about works. This is about asking Jesus Christ to be Lord of your life and being born again, what Jesus said. Thank you for coming, young lady. Thank you, Lord. Anybody else? Anybody? Okay, this is what I want to do. I just want to pray with you. I'd like you to pray out loud with me. And again, this is you asking Jesus Christ to come into your heart your life. You understand? Understand, Paul? Alright. Stretch out your hand. Lives are being changed. Let's pray out loud. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I give my heart to you, Lord. I accept the blood of Jesus as forgiveness of my sin. Come into my heart and change me. Give me a new heart. Take control, Lord. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. Make me a brand new person. I need your help, oh God. I know that I'm a sinner. And I can't do it in my works. I trust in you, Lord. What you did at the cross. You paid for it all. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Bless y'all. Thank y'all for coming. Praise God. Bless y'all. Amen. I just want to say this. And again, this is a life-changing decision. It's a decision to say, Lord, I give you my whole life. And he comes in. According to the Word of God, he comes in and he makes you a brand new person on the inside. And he, he, it's kind of amazing. He says he takes out our old heart and gives us a new heart. <laughs> amazing, huh? Like you got a heart transplant, spiritual heart transplant, pretty cool. And then that changes everything. You'll think differently, you'll talk differently, and and we invite you. You know, there are a lot of great churches. We invite you to be a part of our church because that's one good thing that you need to do. Get yourself grounded into a good uh, Bible teaching church. Teaches Jesus, preaches Jesus. Uh, so we invite you to be here want to be a part that is a part of growing in christ you learn to know him so i just want to encourage you 
this is Brother Freddie, one of our assistant pastors here, uh, Nadine his wife. Uh, what they want to do is, is if, you, if you don't mind, if you have the time, they would like to pray with you and just take a little information so they get your name, um, address, something like that, so we can follow up and, and know more about you and be able to follow up. So if you, if you have time, uh, I'd like you to go with Brother Freddie and Nadine. Just follow him there. And I'd like to invite each one of you, if you would pray with me, a commitment to say, I will reach the next generation. Would you join me with that? And be praying for our nation this week, would you? Let's raise our hands. Corporate prayer of saying, God, use me to reach this next generation. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, use me, Lord. To reach my culture, to touch my children, my grandchildren, the people around me, my friends, my neighbors, my community. Lord God, use me. I repent of my selfishness and I will reach this generation. I will reach the next generation and my grandchildren, Lord. I will help them, Lord to know you and to know your ways. And Lord, save our nation. Turn us around. Give us a new nation, Lord. A nation that acknowledges you. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you. Give you peace and give you rest. You are dismissed in Jesus' name. Praise God.